You're listening to PF's Tape Recorder. This is the biggest name in comedy, Kostaki Economopoulos. Hello there, I'm PF. This is my tape recorder. Coming up, Tenderloins, a.k.a. Impractical Jokers. And so we came up with this show, and we went on our cell phones, just the four of us, and we filmed... We hit, we, you know, we hit it in stores and wherever, and we filmed each other doing these things. And we went to True and just showed them a tape we made on our cell phones, and they immediately offered to buy it in the first meeting, which also is something that does not happen often. So we were very, wow. very lucky. That's Sal from Impractical Jokers slash The Tenderloins. We'll hear more from him in just a little bit. We've got a, a dumb bit coming up as well, and a, a cool song of the week. Uh, which has not been determined yet as I am still recording the intro, so I'll I'll decide by the end of the show what the song of the week is. Meanwhile, here is a uh, fun, dumb bit for you. I know we've done this a lot lately, but it's our most popular dumb bit. It's easy to do, and since we've been very busy with the Bunbury Festival and all that sort of thing, uh, here we go again with... It's Facebook, not Factbook. Okay, so this one actually comes from Todd Yone. He is a um, he's a comedian. He is actually uh, he's on the right side of the issues, as we like to say. So he posted this thing from this lady named Helen Lanning, who is, I guess, uh, what you'd call kind of a conservative nut, I guess. So she posted this meme. I don't think she created it, but um, it's a picture. It's a cartoon drawing of Michelle Obama and President Obama looking very dour and stern, and it says, "Correcting Michelle Obama, the most racist first lady in American history." And it goes on to say, "The White House." Is not it's just this quoting? Um, oh no, it's not quoting. Or wait, it says the White House is not a house that slaves built. That's the quote. As Michelle Obama recently stated at the graduation ceremony, it's a house that we all built. All in caps: Europeans, Irish, Scottish, Italians, Blacks, and others. It's ours, not ours versus theirs. Yet once again, we have an Obama casually drawing racial lines. The Obamas have set race relations back fifty years. Pathetic. So of course, you know, everyone chimes in on this, and I'm thinking, well. I wonder what the real story is here. And I'm thinking, well, maybe, you know, uh, Michelle Obama must have meant, uh, you know, metaphorically because when the White House was built, you know, it was built in Maryland still had slaves and Virginia certainly had slaves across the river. And, you know, the, that was a big engine of the economy. So maybe, maybe that's what she meant. So I looked it up and, oh, look. We go to whitehousehistory.org, and I'll go skip down a couple of sentences. The D.C. commissioners charged by Congress of building the new city, Washington, D.C., under the direction of the president, initially planned to import workers from Europe to meet their labor needs. However, response to recruitment was dismal, and soon they turned to African-American, enslaved and free, to provide the bulk of labor that built the White House, the United States Capitol, and other early government buildings. There's, there's not even any metaphor here. They, she's exactly right. Slaves built the White House. They didn't build the entire White House, but they did a lot of the work, folks. So, uh, and there's no even any nuance there. Isn't there any room for people to come in and say, oh, well, it, M- Michelle Obama was being metaphorically. No, she was stating the absolute facts, which uh, Miss Helen Lanning, unfortunately, does not have a grasp of because, as we all know, kids. It's Facebook, not Factbook. And 
Impractical Jokers, for lack of a better word, is a prank TV show on True TV, though it's not really a prank TV show, as you're going to find out in a few minutes. And it was created by a comedy troupe called The Tenderloins, so they are now known by both names, Tenderloins and Impractical Jokers. And Salvatore Sal Volcano of Tenderloins was gracious enough to call in and uh, speak with us about the group's success and the success of the show. Here now is our interview with Sal Volcano. Hey, Sal, what's up? Hey, how are you? Pretty good, man. Um, thanks Sorry for, the- for any, any noise. I'm in a bit of a noisy area, but it was the only time I could grab the call. So. Well, that's okay. I think we can uh, hear you okay. Um, okay, so le- let's start from the beginning. I mean, I know a lot of folks know you better as the Impractical Jokers, but really, of course, you started as the Tenderloins. How did the Tenderloins get started? Yeah, we actually are still the Tenderloins to this day. Um, we, uh, we met in high school in 1990, all in the same grade, and we started doing uh, improv and sketch together, and that's how we formed the Tenderloins. It was about, um, Jesus, probably almost 20 years ago at this point. And, uh, and yeah, that's what we've been. That's our, kind of our identity outside of Impractical Jokers. And uh, ever since we got this show, which we got in about 2010, there's been, we've been known as, as both. Okay. And going back to the beginning, who would, did you guys, like, watch a lot of Saturday Night Live together or Second City? Or what, what were your inspirations early on to, to form a troupe? Yeah, um, Upright Citizens Brigade was a, was a huge influence on us. Okay. One of the main uh, improv theaters out of New York. And then just, like, growing up, yeah, like, for me personally, like, Saturday Night Live is something I would never miss. always wanted to, to be on and, and things like that. So then once, you know, we got a bit older and we started, there was, a, like, there was just an improv class in our high school. So we all ended up taking it, loved it, and we started kind of our own thing. But I would say SNL is certainly a huge influence, even today. Uh, it's all, it's crazy now because most of uh, a lot of my friends are on Saturday Night Live, which I never would have imagined. But I guess like if you stay in the field long enough, you you just start to meet people and uh, you surround yourself with good people. So. And how about the writing aspect of it? Because you know you went you said you're I guess I guess more of a sketch troupe these days than anything, apart from Impractical Jokers, of course. Did how how did the writing develop? Yeah, I mean, well, we did improv for like the first, uh, I want to say, the first three or four years. And then we said, why don't we try something new? Why don't we start doing sketches on stage, like Second City, uh, like like uh, SNL? And we started doing that. And then all of a sudden, um, YouTube was invented. And we're like, well, why don't, we, why don't we film these sketches and put them online? And we did, and they started to get some traction. And we kind of went from there. And now, of course, with this television show and other shows that we've sold or, or, or been trying to try to produce and stuff, you know, writing's heavily, heavily involved. So, um, you know, we incorporate that kind of sensibility, that sketch sensibility into Impractical Jokers a lot. Um, so I'm not sure if that, I mean, I, I think you picked that up on that, but yeah, we, we do. We try to, uh, especially the, not even the tone, but some of the um, lines and stuff that we write and improvise are very, the show is very broad. And so we try and temper that a lot of times with very like unique sensibilities in the writing itself. So you kind of get the best of both worlds. And I think that's why like I found that we appeal to like comedians and peers as well as just the public at large and all different age groups. Because I think there's a little bit of something in there for everyone. At least that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. So when 
True TV approached you, did they just come to you and say, hey, guys, create a TV show, and then you decide to do Impractical Jokers? Did they come to you and say, hey, we're interested in doing a prank show. We think you guys would be good for it. How did Impractical Jokers uh, develop? Yeah, oh, man, I wish it was like that. Uh, if anyone's reading this, I want to come to us and ask them to make a show. Just do that. <laughs> but um, we, uh, we we actually had the idea. We sat down and thought of ideas for television shows ourselves, and uh, we, were, we would go out and pitch them to networks. We got an agent from... Uh, from all the stuff on YouTube, and then we got onto the show on NBC that was a sketch comedy competition, and we won that. And so from there, we started to develop shows and pitch them. So the idea from Practical Jokers was born out of, we had three or four failed written pilots, and we were like, what's something we could do where we could just be ourselves, and we could improvise, and it'll just showcase, you know, how we are together, and maybe that'll be an anchor for something. And so we came up with this show, and we went on our cell phones, just the four of us, and we filmed, we hit, we, you know, we hit it in stores and wherever, and we filmed each other doing these things. And we went to True and just showed them a tape we made on our cell phones, and they immediately offered to buy it in the first meeting, which also is something that does not happen a lot. So we were very, wow. very lucky. So did you, amongst the shows that you pitched earlier, what did you pitch a sketch show first, and then when they passed on that, you had to come up with different ideas? Well, we had over the years we had we had uh, two or three things that went through pilot. So we had a, a pilot on Spike TV, a pilot on A and E, uh, and and we had other things that we pitched that just wouldn't even get, you know, they wouldn't really even get picked up at all. So we had a bunch of stuff before Practical Jokers, and you know, after I think our third pilot that we that didn't go to series that was written, we were like, let's just shake things up and try to do something that doesn't lean so heavily on scripted pages of dialogue. And uh, and we got lightning in a bottle with this one. And I think the reason for that is because we have this shorthand. We've been friends for 20, 26 years and uh, 20, almost going on 27. I think people picked up on our relationship with each other. And I think that became an element of the show that, that, that really helped boost it to, to what it has become. Yeah, and, and people seem to like prank shows a lot and, and sketch shows are really hard even like Chappelle a great show like Chappelle show you know had its troubles although he, he quit doing that but um you know Dana Carvey and all these other people they, they have these great sketch shows but then for some reason networks are very impatient with them it's true it, 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 things are cyclical um, in, in television and in comedy and stuff and um, there was a lot of times that because we were a sketch show and that's all we wanted to do and we would, sometimes we'd be told I'm sorry, no one's buying sketch shows at the moment. And uh, and then you'd have, you know, a boom of sketch shows and, and then there'd be a drought. And right now you're, you're in the middle of a boom again, you know, with things like P&P and Amy Schumer and Kroll Show and things like that. So I guess it just kind of goes in waves. That's true. Um, but prank shows have never really waned. They've always been pretty popular. I think... The reason for that is that, um, for the most part, they involve real people, and I kind of think that there's a consistency there. There's a there's a attractiveness to that. People love to watch real people in real situations have real feelings and reactions, and uh, I guess we wanted to do our version of that. Uh, what? How can we slightly reinvent it and make it? Our show's really a hybrid. We don't consider it a prank show. 
because we're really not pranking other people. We're right. really kind of throwing each other under the bus. Yeah, yeah. So because, you know, we've been called a prank show, a reality show, but uh, honestly, you know, we write for the show just as much as we improvise. And yes. I think it's really a show about four friends, to tell you the truth, and everything else is kind of secondary. Uh, and I think that that shift of making it more about us than a prank or, you know, and also reality TV is very contrived and we want to stay very true and, and not, you know, everything on our show is like real. So I think, uh, I think in doing so, we somewhat achieved a reinvention of the prank slash reality genre for ourselves. I hope so. Yeah, it, it's, it is very clever because I'm not a big prank show guy. And I like Impractical Jokers for the very reason you said you guys are the butt of the joke and everybody else is just kind of catalyst to that, you know, the people walking in the park or whatever that you're trying to sell a fish to or whatever it is. And uh, another thing I enjoy a lot is, yeah, I do a, a, I do a live trivia show for a company here in Cincinnati. And uh, a lot of times in bars, they have the show on with the sound off and it's easy to follow when I'm reading between questions because you don't really have to hear it to enjoy a lot of it. Particularly when Joe looks at the camera when you've told him to do something. You can't hear what it is, but you can tell you've told him to do something that he's not expecting, and he just looks at the camera with that look of his, and it just, that's hilarious. Thank you so much. I'm glad you like it. Um, yeah, I, 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 I'm, I'm happy to hear that. I mean, like, you know, it's just like, uh, we, we do try to mix in, you know, physical comedy, too. Yeah. Uh, we just try to play to our, to our strengths and stuff, so... Well, you know, it's so funny what we hear back, feedback from people about what are people's favorite parts of the show, what makes them laugh the most. It yeah. does really, really, really vary. So uh, it, it, it is rewarding and, and humbling to hear that, that people like so many different aspects of the show. I mean, like again, you hope for that kind of stuff. You know, you can say you're doing it by design. You know, you want the show to be successful. You want it to reach different people for different reasons. But you really never know. You never know if it'll take at all. And so... To, to get that kind of feedback for us, it's, it's just like, uh, you know, it's so great. We just hope we can do it, you know, again and again. I also noticed that at the end of some of the episodes, Joe seems to play a prank on you by hiding your cell phone somewhere. I know two instances. One, they put it on a barge and you had to look for it. Another time you put it in a pile of dung or something. Is that a recurring thing? Because I've only seen it a couple of times. <laughs> I think anything that has to do with garbage, trash, yeah, yeah. dumb, <laughs> anything like that, they're going to keep coming at me. Okay. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you know, they, they know, we all know what we, we, we don't like. So okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it's almost better these days to keep to yourself because as you let something out of the bag, you know the guy's going to jump on that. All right, that's funny. Um, so the live show, is it, I watched a little bit of it on YouTube, like, is it you guys showing more stuff from the series, or do you guys do sketches, or is it both? What, what can folks expect when they see you live here in Cincinnati? The live show is, if you like um, the TV show, the live show is, you'll love it. Um, we've catered it specifically to our fans, and it, it's just a, a mix of storytelling and stand-up and videos that we shot just for this tour, and we do crowd work and audience stuff, and it's just a mixed bag of, of a whole bunch of stuff. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, we're on four years of touring. This is our third tour. It's all new material coming up now. Uh, so if you've seen us in the past, uh, this will be completely new. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's just the experience you've had live is, is, 
is it matches the experience you've had in the show. Because people that come out are people that feel like they know us. They're real, real, like, fans and, like, friends. Because we play ourselves on TV. There's no filter. So people feel like they know us. That really comes through when, when people come to see us live. It's like, we have this bond with our audience that I don't think normal actors or comedians or people on TV even have. Because our show lets people in. And uh, there's this comfortability with it. So the, the, our, our shows, our live shows play more like rock concerts than comedy shows. People come you know, with signs and t-shirts and dressed in costumes, and, and it's really a fun experience. And like you said, there is that sense uh, that, you know, comes from your, your guys' friendship of over 25 years that does make the show that much more accessible, because, I mean, yeah, you could have gotten four guys that kind of knew each other from just being comedians and actors and things like that, and it probably would have worked out fine, but that you've got that extra level of, like you said, knowing what pushes each other's buttons and what each other are afraid of, and, you know, and then you can you know, write a gag around that. Is there any a time where you write something and one of the other guys says, no? Is there a right... Say that one more time. Is there, when someone says says no to a to a a, a gag idea, that they, they're, they're not they're just. I mean, cause you've done everything. I mean, you know, Murr was you know naked in front of a, an art class. I mean, I don't think you can get much more extreme than that. But is there, are there any? Has anyone ever drawn the line and said, no, I don't think I'm doing that? Yeah. Well, you know, on the show, uh, you know, if you watch it, you know that we can say no if we feel something's too much for us, and that's how you get end up getting punished at the end. But when you get punished at the end, you can't say no. And that kind of gives you the motivation oh, okay. not to say no during the show. Okay. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, I say one thing we did by design was definitely um, we wanted to be able to turn things down because we thought that that could be a very funny element as well. Like, there's fun in the failure uh, as much as us doing something. So, on the show, I probably say no more than anyone and get punished the most, which is terrible. But okay. the punishments are a different story. Um, you know, you get usually the punishments are secret, and you can't say no. And so those days are much more ominous, and uh, <laughs> you don't know what you're getting yourself into. So, uh, and which is also really fun because it keeps us on our toes because you always think the worst. So when I'm waiting to get punished and I have no idea what it's going to be about, it's, it's a pretty palpable feeling. Uh, on the set, you know what I mean? And that still rings true today, even in season five. So, even though you guys are the butt of the jokes, is there ever a case where either something just doesn't go, you know, as planned and you're not able to use it in the show, or are you able to use most of the things you come up with? Hmm. Good question. I, I, I think it just, like, it just goes in, in, in waves. Sometimes we'll be banging on all cylinders and everything will be we think of it has been working and, and also like the network approves of it too and we don't have to like fight for anything and every once in a while it, it's just a law of averages something we had an idea for it doesn't quite play and we'll have to improvise on the fly to figure out and tweak a bit to see what will make it better um, sometimes the network doesn't really see our vision and we'll have to have a phone call or a meeting and try to explain or prove to them that we, we know it'll work, and, and most of the time it does. Very few times it doesn't, but uh, but really it could be, you know, anything could happen. I mean, like I said, we're dealing with real people. That's the variable. Right. So, yeah. uh, you know, depending on how people... We have... It's like a whole psych, psychology to what we do. Like, I really think you can teach a class about our show because it's just steeped in human nature and uh, and and social 
you know, social awareness and stuff. And, and we're, we're constantly learning. And there's a, there's a shorthand we have now in writing and creating books for the show that we didn't have in the beginning, which comes along with the experience of doing it for this many years. So I think we're a little bit more of a well-oiled machine now. So I think right now our success rate for things is higher than we had when we first started. Okay. Do you, uh, hey, miss... Sorry to interrupt. I oh. think we have time for one more question. Okay, I only have one left. Do you, do you miss flexing the sketch muscle? The the sketch muscle, uh, you know, because your time is taken up by impractical jokers. Do you, or do you feel you still have time to also do that as well with the YouTube videos and such? Yeah, I mean, I think I personally do. I think we do as a group too. We, we try to add sketch elements into impractical jokers. There's a bit we did with Joe Sumo wrestles that had some sketch elements to it, and we hunted Murray as a deer through Staten Island that had some sketch elements to it. Uh, we had a sketch show on True TV, a spinoff show called Joker's Wild. Uh, we did one small season of that. That was really fun to get our feedback with that. And then, of course, like, we're all always doing, like, we do sketches on stage, and we all do our own thing, too. Q and I have a podcast called What Say You? Yeah, yeah. And uh, we all do different things. I do some solo, solo stand-up. So we have other creative outlets that we do, which is, okay. I think is important because it keeps, it keeps IJ, you know, fresh, and it's not redundant because we're still working in other different areas and like you said flexing different muscles it kind of keeps it all fresh to us so yeah there's I mean yes we do this sketch but uh, we we definitely try to put it in that show great well, I appreciate you taking the time today. So all this will uh, be in City Pages the week you're in town, so you can pick up a copy, I think, even at the venue, and you can check it out. And uh, appreciate you taking the time today. Awesome. Look forward to you. Thanks, man. Bye-bye. Yeah. Bye. Thanks again to Sal from Tenderloins slash Impractical Jokers for being on the show. You can catch Tenderloins on their tour. Uh, it's mostly an Impractical Jokers tour, but like you said, it's a little mixture of both. Uh, they're going to be coming up in Wilmington, Delaware, June 29th, July 1st in Brooklyn, and then Atlantic City, and then Hampton Beach, uh, New Hampshire. So just go to the tenderloins.com uh, and you'll find all the dates for that. You can also go to True TV's website, I believe, and see clips of the show. You can go to YouTube and see clips of the show and see some of their sketch stuff and some of the stuff they filmed for YouTube that really got them going, okay? So I'm um, going to skip the credits again this week because we don't have time, quite frankly. We're going to get to the song of the week. And the song of the week uh, I was going to use a couple of weeks ago, and then I waited because I thought, well, this sounds like it might become a big hit in the United States, and then we'll all be sick of it. And it was, uh, I think, a top 10 hit in the U.K., but it kind of fell back out of the chart here. I think at around 60-odd, maybe. But uh, it's really cool. It doesn't sound. It sounds like it'd be in my basket and not in my basket. It's, it, it does sound very charty. But uh, it's also very cool. It's from a guy named Robin Schulz, and he uh, borrowed a uh, gentleman named Francisco Yates to do the vocal on this. And uh, the song is called Sugar. And I, I know I, I may be mistaken. I think maybe Francisco Yates might have recorded this and then Schulz remixed it. Anyway, it's a good tune. It's got a nice hook. Uh, it's got a nice melody, and really that's all you need in a great pop song. So uh, it is our song of the week, Robin Schulz Sugar, featuring Francisco Yates, BS Tape Recorder. So long, and thanks for listening. Tell
higher than the ceiling Oh baby, it's the ultimate feeling You got me lifted, feeling so gifted Sugar, how you get so fly Sugar, how you get so fly